What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Verzi Effect Podcast Show. My name is Paul Verzi. Today is Sunday, March 13th, 2011, and you are listening to episode number 11. Hopefully, you are listening to your 11th episode, um, and you've been here for all of them. If this is your first episode, thank you so much for sitting in and listening. Um, Keep coming back. Uh, I do appreciate it. Um, I am doing this podcast a little later in the week. Um, we recorded one earlier, but um, it uh, too many things are going on. Too many things are going on with iTunes. That's what I'm going to explain to you guys. Um, and episode number 12 will be at its regular time. Uh, I will post it probably on Thursday. Um, here's the deal with iTunes, and I do apologize for the confusion. iTunes actually approved my podcast, which means what they want to do is they want to, they review it, okay, they want to just make sure that I'm not some maniac that's going to go on a killing spree, they listen to the podcast, they listen to a couple of episodes, and they see if it's, um, you know, appropriate to be, you know, to be downloaded. Um, I got the approval uh, emails, we did everything, and there was just something on my end through my website that I needed to do in order to make this available, and that was what the problem is. And it was fixed yesterday, and this will be available on iTunes. Um, it, it's it's going to probably be fixed in the next three or four hours here. So I do apologize for any, uh, you know, confusion. And I'm psyched because the Verzi Effect podcast is going to be available on iTunes, which means anybody in the world with a computer can download these episodes. I have some very special guests coming up, and um, the show is going to just be getting better and better. So thank you all to the loyal listeners. And uh, please keep spreading the word. Um, that being said, it is a uh, it is a dark and dreary week here in New York, which for you people that know me know that I love it. I love the rain. I love the cold. Not when it screws up traveling. I actually missed a couple of shows on Friday night down in the city because I basically couldn't get there. I would have been sitting in my car for four hours to do 12 minutes on stage, so I had to reschedule um, there was flooding everywhere. It sucked. My wife was also flying, and I wanted her to get home safe. So I don't like bad weather that way, but I've just always loved the rain. I've always loved it when it's just, you know, dark and gloomy, you know, dark at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you hear the rain hitting the gutter in the windows. I love that. Um, I don't know. I get it from my father. I just There's just something about when it's really sunny and nice and everybody's in a good mood that annoys me. And, and I'm not saying that being a dick. There's just something about it when everyone's like, yeah, we're going to go to a picnic and it's grayed out. And everyone's all smiles because of the weather. There's just something about it that irks me. I don't know why. Um, I love the bad weather. And and here's the one thing that I don't like when people complain about bad weather. Okay, I understand if you don't like bad weather. But these people that every year, who they've, they've lived in New York their whole lives. And every year they're like, I just can't take this. I can't take the the cold like this. And everybody knows if you live on the you know in the northeast, okay, New York and and Jersey and and all of these places, Massachusetts, Connecticut, all of these places you know that when it's cold it's really cold, when it's hot it's really hot and it's just, you know, drastic seasons in this part of the country. And all these people do every year. You know, one of these years I'm moving one of these years I'm going to move, I just can't take it, and they're full of shit. It's like, dude, you're 78 years old, okay? What do you mean one of these years, one of these years? One of these years, you're going to die. 
You've, it's like either move or don't complain about it because you know that that's what it is. Um, everybody, I hear neighbors complaining and they're all pissed off. Uh, shut up. You live in New York. It's a great place to live and you just got to deal with the seasons. I like the four seasons. That's just me. I love the snow. I love, you know, I like when it's hot in the summer. I like when it's, you know, cold in the winter. Um, so stop complaining is basically what I'm saying about the weather. Or move to Florida and... Uh, you know, be hot every day, have to be in air conditioning every day. And, um, you know, God forbid a hurricane ruins the foundation of your home. Because it's never the same after that, people. All right. Um, I got a lot of things that I want to talk about on this podcast um, today. And I'm going to also, on a sad note, be uh, doing a little tribute to the um, to the late... And, and, and great comedian who passed away this week, Mike DiStefano. Um, it was a big hit for the entire comedy community. And um, for you people that don't know Mike, um, you know, he was a comedian from the Bronx, New York, who passed away this week um, from a massive heart attack at 44 years old. And he truly had one of the most remarkable stories you will ever hear uh, a comedian have ever. Um, his wife died of AIDS, um, and then he became HIV positive. He was a heroin addict, um, and after he was a, a heroin addict, he became a um, drug counselor, and then from that, he kind of parlayed that into, you know, because he was just one of those guys that was just funny when he talked, and he kind of turned that into, you know, being a, a comedian, and um, he's was one of the most just honest, straightforward, real comedians I've, I've ever met. And you know, a lot of times when people pass away, okay, there's always like this, they, people just glorify the people more, they, they hype them up more, they, they say all these great things, but he was truly one person that I met in comedy, that I met in life, that was the realest, most honest person. He told you what it was. He told you how he felt. If you didn't like it, he truly did not give a shit. Honestly, if you didn't like him, he didn't care. He would say, fuck you. That's just a guy that he was. He was a real honest. He's been through so much shit in his life. And uh, nothing, all the small stuff didn't matter. You know, um, and he just, there's one thing that at the end of the podcast, I'm going to play for you guys that he, he, he told a story um, at a show at the Aspen Comedy Festival in 2007 called The Moth. Uh, the, the, the show was called The Moth, and The Moth is a show where comedians go up and they tell these unbelievably, you know, just great stories, and his was called Franny's Last Ride, and it was about his wife, and honestly, the only word that I can use for, for this was beautiful, you know, uh, it was just one of the most breathtaking, beautiful stories you're ever going to hear, um, and although... Uh, Mike DiStefano passed away tragically at such a young age. What he accomplished after the hell that he went through is is truly remarkable. It, 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 it's just unbelievable um, what he did. And he got to kind of fulfill his, his life's dream, which was telling his wife's story and, and, and doing comedy after he almost, you know, lost his life to being, you know, being an addict. And, uh, you know, just all the hard stuff that he went through. Uh, the, the the two stories that I could tell you guys in my experience with Mike, we worked together. I worked with him in Jersey, and he was just this just straightforward, in-your-face comic, said how it was, 
But he was so real that I'll give you an example. One time I saw him uh, in the streets of New York City. I was coming from a club, and he was coming from a club. And uh, I told him who I was working with and where I was. And Mike, uh, he said to me about the guy's name that I mentioned, and I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but he says to me, oh, yeah, that guy's got a lot of material, huh? Now, I didn't know if he was being, you know, like a friend of the guys and, and or, or sarcastic. I just didn't know. So me, you know, politely was just kind of starting to slowly say, yeah, I guess he does. And he just interrupts and goes, no, he doesn't. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. He stinks. He's got nothing or something along those lines. And it was just so real and honest. And it was something that I was thinking but just wouldn't say. And, and that's how Mike was. And it was so real and true. Um, and uh, one time I called Mike up because I was shooting a pilot. And I had a scene that I wanted to do with a bunch of Italian comedians. And um, I, I thought that there was one part that was perfect for him. And I called him up. And um, the pilot wasn't ready yet. We were just shooting it. And... Um, you know, when the pilot was done, I didn't like it. I didn't want to put my name behind it. Of course, producers and directors turned it into their own thing and made it about them, and I just hated it. I thought it was a piece of shit, and I didn't want to do it. So the scene uh, never came about that I wanted to shoot with Mike, but I remember calling him at the very beginning stages of this, and I just said, hey, man, I got this idea, you know, and he was just like, yeah, man, when it comes about, you know, just just give me a call, you know, and, and everything, thanks for thinking of me, or just, you know, let me know. Let me know. But he was just, you know, he was cool like that and um, just a real honest person. And when I heard about his passing and loss, um, I was just like, you know, unbelievable how, how these great, brilliant people. You know, it's never, it's never like some just hacky, shitty comic who steals material or just somebody even like a celebrity that, that annoys the shit out of you that you hear, oh, they passed and it's kind of sad, but then you're like, whatever, you know. It's never like Tom Arnold's plane runs into Rosie O'Donnell's car. Uh, <laughs> I know that's mean. I got nothing against either of them. They were just that first names that popped in my head. But you know what I'm saying. You know, groundbreaking people who do great things, it always seems like they're the ones. Um, but, um, you know, you guys may recognize um, the name Mike DiStefano. He got to the finals on NBC's last comic standing last year. He was actually the fourth, uh, fourth place. And uh, it was funny because um, when uh, they called his name and he was eliminated, uh, you know, and he came in fourth place, they said, is there anything you want to say to the crowd? And on national TV, well, you know, he was just like, yeah, to my fans, thank you. And to the people who didn't vote for me, fuck you. And he was dead serious. And the crowd applauded, but it wasn't even trying to be funny. That's just who he was. Um and, uh, yeah, and, and he was doing a one-man show, I guess, that was, uh, you know, starting to be in production, uh, you know, when he passed away, which, uh, ironically, was called um, Disease, Drugs, and Death. I believe that was the name, or those are the three names in the title, and that's, um, you know, it's, it's just a terrible thing. But um, please do me a favor. Mike DiStefano was a great comedian. He was really hitting a stride the last three years really making a name for himself and telling his unbelievably remarkable um, story of, you know, just perseverance and strength and, and, and coming from hell and, and achieving all these things. So please um, look up his clips, uh, you know, and, and just really appreciate what he was doing as, as a comedian and a person. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to play 
the most beautiful story for you guys to really give you an idea of exactly who this person was. Um, and, uh, you know, anytime you lose somebody that you know, that you come across, that you worked with, it sucks. So rest in peace to Mike DiStefano and please check out his clips and everything like that. Um, also, there was uh, other bad news this week. My uh, stepfather's mother, my step-grandmother, uh, Dorothy Dudzinski, passed away at the age of 88 years old. Um, she did live a full life, and she was ailing and not in the best shape when she passed. But, you know, that's uh, my stepfather's mother nonetheless, my step-grandmother. And anytime you lose somebody that you cared about and cared about you, it, it, it really sucks. So um, tough week, thoughts and prayers are with uh, my family, with uh, Mike DiStefano's friends and family. And, um, wow, I don't know how the hell I'm going to get this podcast funny after that. <laughs> but, hey, man, you know, it's just it's one of those things. And the one thing that I do take from this, and a lot of people say, you know, ah, that's corny, that's cliche, you know, that's just you trying to put a positive spin. You know what? Not really, because there's nothing that you could do when something horrible like this happens except celebrate the life instead of mourning the death. Of course, you're going to mourn for a while, but just celebrate the life. Look at what the people went through, you know, and, and you see some of these people, um, like Mike especially, who just went through, I mean, when you hear this, I can't wait for you guys to actually listen to this story, but when you just hear and then you see that he just turned it around and, and he, his mission was to just do what he did and, and, and he accomplished it. And it lets you know that you just can't sweat the small stuff and you just got to go for what you want and follow your dreams. Um, so that's all I could say. And if you think that's corny and cliche, fuck you. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, all right, let's keep going here. Um, uh, I will talk about um, last weekend. Last weekend I had the Montreal uh, Comedy Festival audition, uh, which is the biggest comedy festival in the world. The best comedians in the world go to it, and uh, I had an audition um, at CB's Comedy Club in Greenwich Village. It's one of my home comedy clubs here in New York City. Uh, my manager uh, here in New York actually uh, books the room and runs it, and um, you know I always get stage time, so I was comfortable. I was familiar. Um, unfortunately, I get to this audition, and there's a list of nine comedians. And the one dreaded spot I didn't hope to get, um, I got. First comic of the night, number one. They call it taking the bullet or eating it um, because it's the shittiest spot on the show. Not trying to make excuses, but it's the shittiest spot on the show. So I get there and I see the heads uh, of this comedy festival, which could change your life and career. They're all there. People are schmoozing and talking. And I'm actually excited. You know, I was, I was focused on what I was doing. Um, you know, the one thing that sucked was I was going through my head if I was going to open with this joke or that joke, but I, I kind of had it and, uh, people settled down, the host goes up and wouldn't you know it, of all the times I've ever been in this club, it's a tight crowd, not giving the host much, their energy level was so low, I'm going first, and I remember it was funny, I was outside talking to a, a comedian and I was like, yeah, I'm going first, man, but I don't care, I'm just going to go up there and do my thing, and then I go in the room and I see all these big wigs that could help me and help my career. And I see the host go up really getting no laughs. And I see the crowd being tight. And I leaned over to that same comedian I saw outside. And I'll go, yeah, remember how I said I don't care when I go? Uh, well, I'm starting to care. Uh, it was just a, you know, there were shitty circumstances. I'm not trying to make excuses. 
Uh, I went on stage, didn't have the best audition, got some laughs, but, um, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, man, I just, I felt that, I mean, I don't know the results of this, who knows what happens, but I felt like I didn't do enough to, you know, to get to the, the biggest and best festival in the world, uh, especially when they're looking all over the world and they only take a selected few. Uh, so I was pissed off about it, but you know what? I'm going to learn from it, and it's things like that uh, that I have to go through in order to get to where that I need to go. Um, it's easy to say that now. I was fucking devastated for three days, just like shit. And I know it's tough because I know that they never really pick people the first time that you know, it's very rare that they see somebody once and pick them. And I know that this is something where you just got to keep, you know, keep going. Uh, and I'm very happy the direction my career is going in and to be there. I mean, it was cool to just be in the room and have the people say, this is the best of the best, trying to get to the best festival in the world. It was really cool to be there and be a part of it. Um, and, and you know what? I learned from it. Next year, I'm going to, you know, really, really be even more prepared uh, with the five minutes set, and I'll be honest, uh, you know, I'll tell you guys right here, uh, the, the, on the Verzi Effect podcast, the weakest part of my game on stage, and the weakest, um, aspect of, of what I do is five minute sets, and that's something that I will change, and I'm going to really work on, uh, this year in 2011 is like five minutes, because, I'm so used to doing a half hour or 45 to 50 minutes, and now you got to take the best five minutes, and there's an art to it. There's a strategy to it. you got to figure out what, what should you do here, what should you do there. It's such a, it really is just, it fucks with you, and you got to get laughs within 20 seconds, and you want the ending to be great. You want the beginning to be great. You want all the middle to flow, and uh, that's something that I'm really going to work on. So it was a learning experience. Um, didn't have the worst audition uh, I could have had, but didn't have the best one either, and I need to go in and have the best one. So that's what happened. So then the next night, uh, my manager calls me up and says, I want you to come back down, get on stage again, you know. And I went down, and I had a great set uh, last Saturday night. Then I ran across the street to another packed show. They put me on that show. I ended up having a great set, killing this room. And then I went back across the street to CB's and got on the 1130 show and had a great set there. So the next night, I was able to get up three times and have three good sets, got home all hours of the night exhausted, but that was, uh, you know, that was good, and you feel better, you're just like, all right, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing this, because this comedy business is the only business in the world where you could do it for 20, 30 years, and you could just have one bad experience, and you'd be like, fuck, is this what I'm supposed to be doing, and then you get your next laugh, and you're like, yeah, of course it is, um, you know, and it is what it is, I mean, that's why I give doctors credit, you know, doctors can't really fuck up brain surgery, and get back up on the horse the next day and be like, ah, I killed that last guy, but we're gonna uh, <laughs> we're gonna knock this one out. So uh, that was what I went through stand-up wise um, last week, and um, I'll just catch up with you guys with the rest of the comedy week. Then uh, this weekend, I got flooded out on Friday, couldn't do anything, and last night I headlined Knuckleheads Comedy Club in Tom's River, uh, Tom's River, New Jersey. And uh, that was great. So thanks to everybody who came out to that show. And uh, hopefully you are new fans of the Verzi Effect podcast show. Uh, during this rainy week, my wife was actually in San Diego. And it was me and my little boy. My little boy, Lucas. And uh, he was sick. But uh, just hilarious. We had a good time. And I cannot explain to you guys, okay, how smart my little boy is. 
my son, and I'm not even just saying that because I'm his dad, like even the doctors say he's like four to six months advanced, but there are people telling me that he's doing things that six-year-olds do. Like he's, he's 21 months, he like counts to 15, he knows all the letters in his alphabet, but the crazy thing is he understands concepts. He saw us, so I'll tell you guys a cool story, I freaked out about this shit, I was like, holy shit, I'm, we're raising like this prodigy, and, and listen, I love the fact that my son is smart and advanced, but I don't want him to be, you know, too smart, you know, I don't want him to like, you know, get through the seventh grade when he's like four, you know, one of those guys that's like at UCLA when he's eight and like just freaks people out, like a Doogie Howser type of thing, I don't want that, you know, I like that he's smart, but he's really like, um, you know, the, uh, the Blues Clues, on the Blues Clues show, they show like a paw print, and that means it's a clue, I'm sure you parents out there Half the college kids listening to this right now, I just lost. But, you know, the, the, the parents out there know. Blue's Clues is a show for little kids on Nickelodeon. And when you see a paw print, blue is a dog. So when you see a paw print, it's a clue. I took my son outside like a month later. And some like dog enthusiast out here like who has a dog had a paw print on their car. And it was like a month later. And my son was just like a clue, a clue. And he was like nine months old. It was insane like, or 10 months old when he first started talking, it was ridiculous, so the other day we're playing, we're playing in the, uh, the bedroom with the blocks and shapes, so there'll be like a square shape, and then he's got like a square block, and he puts the square block in the shape, so he kept, you know, he's trying to do it, and he's figuring it out, and he's putting them all in, and every time he puts it in, I'm going, yay, yay, and uh, he'd make like a smile on a face, so finally he had like, I forgot which one, he had like a harder shape, it was like a weird kind of like a twisted diamond shape, and he puts it in, and he got real excited, and before I go, yeah, he just gives me this look, it was a look as if to say, like, you know when somebody looks at you, and they kind of smirk, and they're like, yeah, I got this, it almost looked as if he was doing that, and wanted to give me a wink, you know when someone looks at you, and they wink at you, and they give you that smirk, like, yeah, I'm the man, well, he gave me that look without winking, it was hilarious, and I was just like, oh, my God, this kid is the best. Um, and it's funny now because my son watches TV. And when he likes a show, he points to the show and says, more, more. And I'm like, yeah, no, something else is coming on. And he's like, no, no, more. And he wants that show to come on again. But, like, he doesn't understand. I can't, like, I don't choose programming for Nickelodeon. Like, I don't, I, I, don't, I can't control that. Like, he thinks I could call up Nickelodeon and be like, yeah, can you guys run that again? Yeah, Lucas wants to watch it. I know, I know it's not in the in the schedule, but my son will freak out. Can you do it? Like my my son gives me way too much credit, but I had a great time uh, with him, and he's just getting to the age which he's just so funny because the facial expressions and um, even the tantrums when he throws himself on the floor when he wants something, it's just the most honest. It's like the most honest reaction ever. You know, he throws and he tries to swat and uh, and hit. And it's like, it's honest, like, it's what you want to do, it's just he does it, you know? Like, it's good that babies don't drive, because you know when you have road rage and your thought processes, I want to swerve this into the car and cause a huge accident just because that person is acting like a fucking asshole. Like, it's good that babies can't drive because they would literally just throw the car into it and, and, and just have that raw, honest emotion, <laughs> which is a funny visual. Uh, visual. Um, all right, so... Uh, that was my week hanging with my son. It was awesome, uh, other than the fact that he was sick. And, uh, you know, comedy for the most part is, you know, it's just one of those things in comedy. It's like up and down, you know. You got to just, now it's all about writing new material 
and uh, and putting it out there to the people. Um, so what else did I want to talk about? Um, all right, we could do a little sports segment here. We'll do a little sports segment here. Bear with me, ladies. I know the women are like, oh, shit, I hate when he does this. A um, couple things. I've learned this week that the Miami Heat are not going to win the NBA championship, which I thought they were going to win. I thought when they got LeBron and Bosh. Well, Bosh I've always thought was overrated. I think he's an average, average big man at best. And uh, I, I think that he's kind of soft, and he's proven that more and more. But I thought with you know him and then the combination of the superstars, Dwayne Wade and LeBron, they would win. Um, but they just seem to not be able to play together. They lost like five out of their last six games or five out of their last seven games now, but I don't, I don't think they have it, and I love to watch it. And watching this lets me know that everybody who said LeBron should have went to New York or Chicago were right. And I'm not saying he should have went you know, back to Cleveland and he screwed Cleveland. I mean, he did by the way he went about it, but could you imagine if this guy was on the Bulls or the Knicks right now with what's going on? Uh, that would be dominance. And I think, I, I think deep down inside he's kicking himself in the ass because he went to the worst sports state Ever though, though Florida is the shittiest place for sports. They don't now. They're not even caring about the Dolphins that much. Okay, they they. You ever see a Florida Marlins game? It's like five thousand people towards the end of the season. Nobody cares. It's embarrassing. And he's in that bullshit bandwagon, shitty state playing basketball. And good for him. He made his bed. And I don't think they're gonna win this year. Um, and watching them lose and and kind of go into panic mode was cool for me. Um, as far as my New York Knickerbockers, what can I say? Uh, the trade has been great. Carmelo's been great. Uh, Amari Stoudemire is always great. I think we're one piece away. Can't wait for Billups to get back. Um, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, we got the Yankees coming up soon. I'm going to try to get as excited about the Yankees as I am about the Knicks. But like I've told you guys before, I'm a big-time Yankee fan. But I just feel that, um, you know... It, it, I can't get excited when we kick the shit out of the Royals. I've told you guys that. I can't I can't get happy, you know, when we're beating up on the Washington Nationals during interleague play and A-Rod hits three home runs. I just, it's like, it's great and I want them to win, but I'm just, it's you're just stuck because um, the team is so great. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited about basketball. I'm excited about March Madness. I'm going to fill out my ten brackets on ESPN and after the first round, nine of them will be eliminated and will be busted because that's exactly what happens. Um, but it's cool because you get to bet on some of the games. I hope my wife didn't hear that. I'm sure she did, and I'm not going to bet. Babe, if you're listening, I'm not going to bet on March Madness. Um, I might like maybe like one or two games. But um, as far as movies, movies, I am going to the movies um, I believe tomorrow. So I'm going to have a new movie out, and I've just been really bad with the movies. But I did see one movie, one movie that actually I didn't see in the theater and slipped through my fingertips um, on DVD too. But I caught it on cable recently, and I was actually pleasant, uh, pleasantly surprised. It was a movie called She's Out of Your League. It was that movie with that skinny, weird kid who was in... Um, that skinny, weird kid, he was in uh, Knocked Up. He was also in, um, what movie was he? Oh, The Sorcerer's uh, Apprentice. Uh, you know, the skinny kid. He was in this movie where he's dating like a 10. 
and she likes him, but like he feels like he's not worthy for it, and he's like really insecure about it. And I actually thought there were some really funny parts. I enjoyed it, and it was one of those moments where I'm just sitting on the couch, and a movie that I never saw came on, and it was kind of newer, so it just got to cable, and I watched it and really enjoyed it. So if you want to kill some time, get some laughs. It was it was goofy. It was funny. Was um, she's out of your league with that uh, with that kid, that skinny kid um, from Sorcerer's. What is it? The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Yeah. And he was also uh, in uh, in Knocked Up. So I saw that movie and I enjoyed it. Uh, his friends were hilarious in it, breaking his balls about being with... Uh, there was one funny thing where his ex-girlfriend lived in his house and was, like, dating his friend. Uh, pretty funny stuff. So uh, if, if you want to laugh and, and see a good comedy... I'm weird with my comedies. You know, I was talking to somebody about this. Uh, I've said Hangover is one of the most grossly overrated comedies ever, and I think Hot Tub Time Machine is funnier. I think MacGruber is hilarious. So um, I will recommend comedies to you guys the more that I get them. But I will be seeing a new release um, coming up soon, and um, I will review it, talk about it, and uh, let me know, too, if you guys have questions about movies or if you want me to talk about certain movies, even if they're old. I don't care if it's an old movie. If you want me to ask, you know, talk about something about The Godfather or you want me to talk about something current, I'll do that. Uh, I love shooting the shit about movies. Just um, let me know. Um, and I got some stuff coming up here. I got some stuff coming up. I'm going to be um, going to a headline this weekend, which is March 19th. In um, Newburgh, New York, in a small, tiny, 100-person little theater. It's really cool. It's at the Railroad Playhouse. It used to be an old railroad, and they turned it into this little theater. It's on the waterfront in Newburgh, New York. I will be headlining that um, this Saturday night at 8 o'clock. I'll be working with Tom Briscoe, um, and uh, it should be a great time. Tickets are available at uh, the RR Playhouse or rrplayhouse.org. You can get tickets right away. And if those 100 seats get sold out, which it's looking like it's going to, there's going to be another show later. So uh, if you're in the New York area and you want to see a really great comedy show in a small, intimate setting, go to rrplayhouse.org. It should be a great night. It should be a great show. Um, and there's great places and restaurants to eat and drink over there. So definitely come out to that. Um, the following weekend, I will be at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the 24th to the 26th with the legendary Dom Herrera. Uh, recently worked with Dom. The Stress Factory is a great club. Check that out. And then the next day on the 27th, I fly out to Los Angeles, and uh, I'm going to be doing some what they call in the business some networking, some smoozing around. I'm going to be going to the Chelsea uh, Lately show, talking with them. I was almost booked on Chelsea Lately. And because of uh, newer comedians, especially from the East Coast, not getting on the show, it was tough. But a buddy of mine is doing it for the third time, uh, Joe Matarese. I'm actually going out there with him. I'm going to get some FaceTime with them, talk to them. And uh, I'm going to be doing some shows out there, uh, be hanging with my buddy Bill Burr. And a uh, special announcement right here on episode number 11. I will be having a guest on... In two weeks, Bill Burr is coming to the Verzi Effect podcast. One of the best comedians in the nation. Uh, great friend of mine. Great dude. And uh, if you guys know him, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, uh, you'll see. But Bill Burr will be a guest on the Verzi Effect podcast. 
Uh, that is an absolute non-miss. You cannot miss that one. I assure you it's going to be the shit. Um, and I'm just looking. I don't like California. Okay, I don't. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this on the West Coast. I'm not trying to be a dick because I also shit on Jersey because I'm not a big fan of Jersey. Although I will say last night going to Tom's River, there was no traffic. And uh, Jersey gained some points with me last night. But um, I just feel like Los Angeles is just kind of flat. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like bodegas and burrito places everywhere. And it, it, it's an ugly landscape. Um, I just don't like it. Everybody you talk to there is it will sell their soul to get in show business. You know, and everybody out there in Los Angeles has another job, like a real estate broker or this, but they're all like, yeah, but I'm an actor too, and I'm doing this. Like every, It's just really weird, phony, and creepy when you go out there. So I like to take it in doses, where I go out there, I do some networking, I do some stand-up, because you, you got to be out there. Um, but, you know, you meet people, and, and you get in front of people when you perform, and, you know, hang with comics, and go, and you got to do all that stuff. It's part of the business, but I like to do that, and then get back to New York, um, so that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, the, so the show with Burr is going to be great. I may even have some other people on while I'm out there. I may, uh, record two of these. Uh, I almost said film. I may record two of these out there. So, um, check it out. And, um, that's pretty much it for episode 11, except guys, stay tuned right now. Um, I just am going to close out the show with, um, the beautiful speech from the late uh, Mike DiStefano, who left us this week um, due to a massive heart attack. This is him in Aspen, Colorado in 2007 at the Moth Show telling his story called Franny's Last Ride. And it is truly one of the most remarkable, beautiful stories you will ever hear. And um, take a listen, and I hope it touched you, and I hope you enjoy as, uh, as, much, as, as much as I did. So uh, here it is, Mike DiStefano, Franny's Last Ride. Enjoy. When I was a kid, I wanted to get a Harley really bad. I was about seven. And I saw these guys riding. I was in my dad's car in the back, and, and these dudes were driving by in his Harleys, and... Uh, I remember looking at him and saying, I want to do that, man, you know? I want to be free like those guys. And, uh, you know, I started doing um, heroin a few years later, so I couldn't really get a bike. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get toothpaste and shit, you know, let alone a $15,000 motorcycle. When I was 18, my parents found me in the house, overdosed, almost dead. They took me to a hospital, and then they took me to a detox, and then to a rehab. When I was in the rehab, I met Fran. She was a beautiful, beautiful girl. The first time I saw her, I was just like, wow, amazed. And uh, we started becoming really close, and we went through the rehab. She had been there a long time before me, and she was finishing up, and I was just starting out. And she finished the rehab, and I was still in there. And then I finished, and we started dating. And uh, life was pretty good, you know. It was it was hard to get off of uh, heroin, but I was able to do it. 
I went to college. I started in college, and Franny and I were together and dating and just having a good time. And one day, she had a really bad fever. I took her to the hospital, and 12 hours later, they said that she had this pneumocystic pneumonia. I don't know what it was, and, and they said it was from AIDS. And um, I didn't know what to do. I loved her, and I wanted to be with her. New York got her sick a lot. She coughed a lot and had bronchitis all the time, so we moved to Florida. Like when old people moved down there, we went down to retire. I figured that we would... Um, live as much as we could and, and do everything we could and for some reason I just wanted to make her life the greatest life and uh, we got married and we were living in Florida and I thought the, the warm air down there would, would uh, help her heal and feel better but um, it didn't she uh, went into the hospital one night and um, the next morning the doctor told me that she had pneumonia again, and that they couldn't really cure it, and that she might have a few weeks to live. And I, that was the first time I was told that, and I was devastated, and she was devastated. They put her in a hospice. And um, like two weeks later, they sent her out of the hospice because she started to get better. She was like thrown out of hospice for not dying. And only she could pull that off. She was a young Italian girl and she was not interested in suffering and dying. Like who is? But she was extra not fucking into it. A few weeks later, she got sick again. I took her back to the hospital. They put her in doctor told me the same thing. She's going to, a few weeks, and she's going to be gone. So they put her back in hospice. A month and a half later, they sent her home again. And, you know, our families, my parents, her parents were happy about it. Oh, she's going to be better. But I knew how the story, you know, I know how the story's going to end. And a few weeks later, she ends up back in the hospital and on a Thursday of that week I was my motorcycle my Harley Davidson was ready to be picked up you know so I went that Thursday to get the bike and it was beautiful she was in the hospital and I got a call that she went back to hospice so the day I got the bike, she was back in hospice. So I, I drove the bike over to the hospice and um, I didn't know what to do, you know, do I even, should I show her the bike? What the fuck do you do? So I went in, I brought the bike out front and I went into the room and I, I said, Franny, I wanna show you something. And I brought her outside and showed her the bike and she, she was mad, you know, she's like, what the fuck is that? I thought, you know, I, I brought it to her because it was our dream together and she was still very important to me and I, I just thought that would make her happy, but 
It didn't. So the social worker came over to me and said, Mike, um, you know, people are never dying. They live and then they die. And dying is in a moment. And she feels that you're treating her as if she's dying and you don't need her anymore. And you don't love her anymore. And, you know, that wasn't the truth, you know. And I, I didn't know how to tell her it. I told her every day. We used to go out for dinners and stuff. She wanted to go out. I would take her out. She'd have her oxygen tank with her and I'd take her to a restaurant and I'd look around and there'd be, I'd see another couple with the husband and taking care of the wife, but they were 80. You know, we were 20. And um, so I went home and I, I didn't know what to do. And I, I came back to the hospice and I brought a few of my work shirts with me because, like, she loved ironing for me. If she was here now, she'd fucking yell. So I came back a couple hours later and my shirts were all ironed and she was walking around the hospice dusting like she would clean the place up. She was on a lot of morphine in that. Some of you that never did it, it's wonderful. <laughs> and it makes you feel excited about things. So, uh, and then she saw me and she's like, where's the bike? And like, like, a, like everything I wanted her to feel in the beginning, she felt. Because I asked her to iron my clothes. And, um. I said, it's outside. Let's go see, you know. And I took her out. and She said, let me sit on it. So I put her on it. And then she said, can you start it up? And she's still alive, so she's still a woman. And this is not enough. I want that. <laughs> so, so uh, I start the bike up, and it's rumbling, you know. It was a loud bike. It was gorgeous. And, uh, and then she's, uh, well, just... Can you just take me for a little ride, like, just around the parking lot here? And I'm like, fuck, you know, fuck. Like, well, you know, if I'm thinking she's going to fall off the bat, you know, and I have to tell her family, you know, yeah, she almost died of AIDS. But then I, I killed her on my bike. I promised her that, like, that the rest of my life would be First of all, I was going to live for her, like I mean really live, and I would always talk about her. I don't want to be here telling this story. I promised her I would. So uh, now we're riding around the hospice, you know, and she's got the morphine pole next to her. You know, and we're, we're junkies, you know, we were junkies, we were different, we were fucking freaks, we were people, people crossed the street when they saw me, you know, and her, she was a prostitute, she was a fucking drug addict, I mean, all the shit that, you know, you know what I'm talking about, some of you, I can tell, so this was amazing, you know, so we're riding around this hospice with this morphine pole fucking changeling, and all the staff come out and they're watching us like, you know, and they're cheering us on. It's all these gay dudes and people that cared about people dying, you know. Yeah, none of my friends were there, you know, Frankie and Vinny, they didn't show up. So they're all like, you know, 
rushing a, and then I hear the the pole fall, and I literally think she fell off the back. You know, she unhooked the morphine bag, which means I want to go out on the street a little bit. So I take her out on the street a little bit, and then she just put her arm around my belly and started rubbing it, and she said, can we go on the highway? And I thought of all that we've been through and all the suffering. And I said, yeah, we could do that. So I was on, we got on I-95 and added up to 80. And she was just screaming happiness. Morphine bag was And for 10 minutes, you know, that wind, like, I always imagined the wind on a bike making you feel free, you know? It's so powerful. For 10 minutes, we were, we were normal. And that wind just blew all the death off of us. And here I am in, in Aspen. I want to be, you know, I want a special and HBOs and money, but nothing I'll ever do will be that grand. Thank you. That was Mike DiStefano, everybody, and uh, I really hope it touched you. And, uh, you enjoyed it. Uh, may you rest in peace. This is the Verzi Effect Podcast, Episode 11. Till next week, thanks for listening.